Hey guys, this is Pastor Neil. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Hey, would you do us a huge favor today? Would you subscribe, like, or leave us a review wherever you get this content? It really helps us reach other people with the gospel. Also, we would love, love to see you at our campus uh, on a Sunday morning. We meet at 1010 South Bowie Drive in Weatherford, Texas. You can check out our service times and more information about the church on our on our website, waterhousechurch.com. Check us out on Facebook or any other social media sites that you may have. We would love to see you. I pray that today you are renewed, restored, refreshed, and that your spirit comes alive. Now here is today's message. Guys, thank you so much for being here this morning. Just turn around real quick, give somebody a high five, tell them you're glad to see them, and ask them where they're taking you for lunch. It's, uh... Quick. Okay, there we go. Y'all sit down way too fast. This, this rug's really nice. I like this. It's comfy. I'll take a nap on it. It's been a long day. Like last night, we were here until 10 o'clock doing a night of worship. It was phenomenal. And then two services this morning. We just love punishment, all right? But it's for, it's for Jesus. We're suffering for Jesus, right? So it's good. I have a couple of announcements before I get into the message today. Um, I have a, quite a few announcements. Um, so after church today, right after service, we're going to have a volunteer training. And so, huh? And sign up. So you, you can sign up and get trained at the same time. We're going to have some pizza, and we're giving away some crumbled cookies. So, yeah, I had you at that, right? So that's all you need to know. Just come get some cookies and some pizza. It's going to be good. You can also maybe find a place where you want to plug in. Um, also, I want to remind you, next week on Wednesday, we do our Discover class, and that's basically our next step class. So it's like, I've been here for a while. I don't know what to do. How do I get more involved? So that's next Wednesday at 630 um, and I'm going to tell you how you can sign up for all of this stuff in just a second. The easiest way to do that. Um, also, if you're a first time, it's your first time here. You've been here for a long time. I just want to say thank you for coming today. We love you. Hopefully, you feel like uh, you're welcome and you feel the spirit of God here. And if you're watching online, thank you for watching today. God has something for you. And so, if it's your first time, here's the best way to connect with us. All you have to do is simply text the word "connect." to 817-803-3131, and that'll bring up a little uh, thing for you to fill out. You know, the word's gone out of my brain, but, you know, it's a, a thing to fill out, a form to fill out and get more information about the church out to you. And we want to send you a gift in the mail as well. Just say thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us today, um, and we love you. Also, I want to plug something maybe you don't know that we have, but this will be the, a huge tool in your hand as we move forward um, we have an app. It's called the Church Center app. I don't know if we have a picture of it or not. We might. I don't know if we have a slide for that or not. The Church Center app. Um, when, you, when you download the Church Center app, make sure you check Waterhouse Church as your home church. I mean, please do that. You can probably go to another church, but we want you to be a part of this church. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to be getting notifications from other churches. Be like, I don't remember that. So, um, so Church Center app, download it. Collect, uh, select Waterhouse Church. And in that app, you'll be able to do all these great things. Sign up for classes. You're going to be able to give online. You're going to be able to uh, get text notifications, little notifications if we need to get those things out to you. Also, you're going to know all about the things that are going on in the church. 
And here's what I'm excited about. Next week is small groups. Two of us are excited about small groups. I'm good. I'm good. So we have some phenomenal small groups. Last week we had a small group training. We have some great small groups coming up. So excited about what God's going to do through those. So if you download that app, you'll actually be able to see what groups we have available. Um, and so you can join a small group. Listen, community is the most important thing in your faith. So often we think we can do this thing alone, but I'm telling you, you will not grow until you're in a community of believers because you need each other. God put us together for a purpose and a reason. And so I'm going to challenge you next week. We're going to have an opportunity to, I'm going to talk about small groups, which ones we have, and then give you an opportunity to join some. So join a small group or two. It's okay. You can join all of them if you've got a number of time on your hands. But get involved. Find a group of believers that you can do life with, and it's going to change the trajectory of your life. It changed my life. Getting into involved in a men's group, it shifted everything in me because I got to see a living example of what it looked like to be a man of God and to, and to walk that out. So I want to challenge you with that. I feel like I'm forgetting something. Maybe Karen will get it afterwards, after we close. But just, just do that. Um, and also, if you need anything at all, you can text that number, 817-803-3131, and we'll get you any information that you need. Baptisms, that's what I'm forgetting. The most important thing. All right, so next week we're doing baptisms. That's the proper response. There you go. We're learning. So we're doing baptisms, and so I would, I would, I would encourage you to sign up for a baptism. I've talked to several people um, that just haven't done it yet, and so it's important. It's something that we do. Uh, it's not just a, an activity. It's, there's, there's something about when we take that step, there's something that activates in us. It's like it makes it real. It's a proclamation to other people that Jesus has saved my life, but it's also a proclamation to ourselves that I am dead in my old life and I'm new alive in Christ Jesus. We're identifying with his death and resurrection. And so it's a beautiful thing. So hopefully you guys can join us. So if you text the baptized to that number, 817-803-3131, uh, it'll ask you what service you want to get baptized in, the nine or the 11. Uh, please sign up for that. It's going to be an awesome, awesome day. And invite your family, your friends, everybody. Just invite them anyway to church. It's a good thing to do, right? Okay, so let's pray and we'll get into the Word um, before we get too hungry. Thank you, God, for today. Thank you, God, for this moment. Thank you, God, that you, your Word, Lord, never gets boring. We thank you, God, that you teach us through it. Lord, I pray that as I speak that your words would flow through me, God, that you would Use me, God, just as a vessel. Lord, I pray that you'd open the ears to hear and the hearts to receive this morning. Lord, we pray that you would teach us something about who we are in you today, Jesus. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says, amen. 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 So we're, we're still in Acts. So if you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 21, we're going to be in Acts chapter 21. Also, another little side uh, verse, if you want to open up to, is 2 Timothy chapter Three, 2 Timothy 3 and Acts 21. Um, so what's going on here? Uh, so we've last, last time we were in Acts, we talked about how everybody was telling Paul, don't go to Jerusalem because when you go to Jerusalem, it's going to be bad. They're going to arrest you. They're going to throw you in jail. And Paul says, I have to go. Jesus is telling me I have to go to Jerusalem. And he walks in. And so the rest of Acts, basically from 21 to the, the end of 27, is talking about Paul's journey once he's in chains. So he's, he's going to get arrested here. We're going to read in, verse, in chapter 21. He's going to get arrested in, in 21 and, and chapter 22. 
And then the rest of Acts talks about what God does through him, even though he's chained. What God does through Paul, even though he is under watch and he is even imprisoned. And, you know, Paul wrote four letters to the church that we still that are in our Bibles today from prison. He wrote from, he did those things while he was in prison. And all those letters talk about the, the beauty of Jesus and the joy of following him. And so this tells me that Paul understood what it meant to follow Jesus, that even though the pain of our circumstances of our life, God can use those things to still do a miracle. And I'm telling you, some of you today may feel like you're chained and that you're imprisoned and the circumstances of your life are not allowing you to do what but you feel like God wants you to do because a lot of us are like this. We're like, man, if I can just get this or if I do this, then God can use me. I'm telling you, God can use you where you're at right now. You just have to be willing to open up and let God use you. And I'm telling you, where God puts you, where you're at right now, where he's planted you, he's planted you there for a reason. So I pray that you open up that, open up and let God do something through you in that place and that you don't take where he's put you now for granted because where you're at now, even it may be a really dark place, but where you're at now, God wants to use you in a powerful way. And God used Paul in chains to speak to kings, governors, and high priests. And God can use you no matter how much you feel like you're tied up to do amazing things if you just allow him, even in your pain. And so as we turn to Acts chapter 21, we're going to read from there uh, as we step in. And I want to talk to you today a little bit or a lot about uh, the religious spirit, the religious spirit. So I hope you're taking notes. Um, When me and my wife were first looking for a church, we were shopping around for churches to see one that fit. You know, it's hard to find a church home that fits. You know, it's, it's just hard. I talked to a lot of people like, ah, we're just looking for a place that feels right. There's something about walking into a people where you're like, I feel comfortable here. This is, these are my people, right? These are my people. These are my peeps. And, uh, you know, and we had a hard time finding one. And we really liked this church that we went to. We heard good things about it, but uh, <laughs> we went to a second service. They had just started. And uh, we sat down, second seat from the back. We were real ready. We had our Bibles, you know, ready for, for the Word. And we felt this tap on the back of our shoulder. And the sweet old lady leaned over and she said, you're in our seats. And uh, needless to say, we didn't go back to that church. Um, there's something just, there's something wrong with that. And I'm not talking about just saying this is our seat. I'm th- there's something wrong with the whole spirit behind that. And, and, and too often, this spirit, this religious spirit that, that, that we deal with, we don't see it anywhere else because it loves to live in the church. You know, Jesus said this to his disciples. He goes, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. What was he talking about? He's talking about that religious spirit of the Pharisees that was working itself into the whole people of Jerusalem. And, and very often in the church, it just takes one or two people that are walking around in this spirit to really destroy anything in the church. It's that yeast that works in a little bit of dough that corrupts the whole batch. And so we're very cautious and we're very, we always have our eyes open for that and, and because it, it can just ruin a church. You see churches split because of this spirit that's active. People, they don't come back because the spirit is active. They walk in, they know. Unbelievers can sense it like that. If they walk in and they, they, they sense it, they don't know what it is. They don't know it's an, you know, a religious spirit. 
They just know it's gross and it didn't, just not right. But for believers, we can be so blinded because it seems so good and it seems so right and it seems like, it seems like it's really serving God, but really it's serving the enemy. It's serving the devil because it's causing division in the church. It's causing division in people. And it's clouding our eyes to see the true reality of who Jesus is. And the spirit that operates so easily in the church must be dealt with and must be flushed out. And I'm not saying that it's here in this church because I'm telling you, everybody talks so well about Waterhouse Church and how beautiful the people are here. They don't talk about how good I am. They talk about how good you are. And that's good. They come and say, man, your people are so nice, so loving, so kind. And nobody's, as far as I know, nobody's tapped anybody on the shoulder and said, that's my chair. And if you do, I'm going to have words with you. It's, we have to deal with it. We have to recognize it. So how do we recognize it? I have some attributes of this religious spirit to kind of help us to see it. Because like I said, it seems so good. It seems so right. You know, Paul operated out of this spirit for so long until his conversion. He thought he was doing God a favor. Right? He thought he was doing him a favor by going and arresting this Christian's and doing the Lord's work, right? Because that's how a lot, I'm doing the Lord's work here. So how do we see the spirit active and how do we know maybe it's even active in our life and it's affecting us? So here's some attributes. Number one, unforgiving. That's condemning and judgmental. Like you can't forgive people no matter what they do. We watched, um, what's that show we just watched? You know what I'm talking about? You know, the show with the people, you know, the... Uh, young Sheldon. We just watched Young Sheldon. I don't know if you've seen the new episode. Uh, they walk into church and everybody's shunning them because of uh, the older brother's misdeeds. And, and they're like, let's hold hands and pray, you know, for each other. And the lady next to him wouldn't hold their hand. And at the end, Sheldon gets up and really gives them a what for about hypocrisy. Um, it's unforgiveness. It's like no matter what you do, even if somebody like tells them you're sorry and you've repented, it's like I'm still not going to forgive you because you haven't met, you haven't paid my bill yet. I can't forgive you. Unforgiveness is a good sign that you're walking in the spirit that's condemning and judgmental. You're always looking down on people. They're not dressed like you. They don't talk like you. You're condemning them for how they live. You know, you're... you're you're, you're looking at them for the outside, but not what God's done on the inside. It's, it's, it's unforgiveness. And then it's prideful. Pride. You know, we're the only ones that do it. I'm the only one's really serving God. Nobody else is really serving God. I'm the only one that really understands Scripture. Nobody else does. All these guys are morons. They don't know what they're talking about. Everybody else is a heretic. You're always pointing out the flaws in everybody else without realizing that you're full of them as well. Jesus talks a lot about this, right? He says, don't look, point out somebody else's splint, you know, splinter in their eye when you got a log in your own. You can't see it because pride blinds you. And then you value rules over relationship. All about the rules. Like as long as everybody does this, we're good. But if somebody runs in church, oh, you know, kids can run. They can come up here. I don't care. You know? We have this like idea that everything has to fit into its nice little cubicle. You value rules over relationship. Jesus valued relationship over rules. Everywhere he went, he took time for people. He did things outside of the law so that he could meet people. He touched lepers. You don't do that. He healed people on the Sabbath. You don't do that. 
He drank with tax, he sat with tax collectors and sinners. He ate meals with them. You don't do that. Those things are not what God, godly people would do. Jesus valued relationship over rules. Often those people, often that looks like performance-based life. Like as long as I perform, as long as I do all the right deeds, then God's going to save me and things are going to be right. But as we know, that's, that's why Jesus came, so we don't have to work. <laughs> it's it's performance-based over presence-based. Jesus came so we may live in his presence forever. The other one is denies the work and the ministries of the Holy Spirit. Denies the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Like, there is no Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit's evil, or from the devil. You know, and, and the Holy Spirit was sent by God to work in the believer, to shift out the things in our life, to, to speak to us, to encourage us, to give us life, to empower us to be a witness, to give, give, us, to give us, it's been a long day, to give us gifts to encourage believers, to produce fruit in our life. And religious people don't like the spirit because they can't control it or him. They like everything controlled, everything nice and neat, everything, everything's up here and nothing is here. Hates change of methodology. Can't change it. Here's the words that we like to say. It's always been that way. It's always been this way. We've never done that before. Seven words of a dying church. We've never done it like that before. It's religious spirit. You know, we play the piano, but in the 1800s, that was demonic to bring that into a church. And then not too long ago, that was demonic to bring in a church. It's the devil's beat, right? I'm glad God changed his mind. It's that religious spirit, you know, it's just... It's really just preference. And then we dictate good and evil. Like we're the call of what's good and what's right and what's true. We throw out doctrine out the window and say, well, I think God forgives that. We, we dictate what, what really is against God's word and what's not against God's word. You know, we tell people, well, you can't hate you can't do these things, but this is okay. Your sexual sins are okay. God will kind of look away at that. But don't steal, don't kill, don't do those things. But we can do all these things against God. And he's saying, no, there's a standard. There's a standard. And it's hard for us to see the standard. It works both ways. We have to stand on the standard. And so these things are really, I mean, there's more to it, but these are kind of the standard things that you see with people that are operating in the spirit. And Paul, as we're about to read in Acts 21, he comes up against this spirit that's been chasing him down since the day he started. Because you see Paul as he walks, he walks out of Jerusalem and he starts preaching the gospel. Gentiles are coming to faith. But you also see this group of people that are coming in behind him trying to dismantle the works of God. And those people are disguised as people that are working for God, but really they're working for their enemy. They're working for the devil. They're working out of the spirit of religion, and they're tearing down the things of God. And so 
Acts 21, we're going to open it up here and we're going to read it together. If you can go and throw that up there so I can read it. So after this, this is Luke writing, we packed things and left for Jerusalem, verse 15. Oops. Some believers from Caesarea accompanied us, and they took us to the home of Manson, a, original, a man originally from Cyprus and one of the early believers. When we arrived, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem welcomed us warmly. The next day, Paul went with us to meet with James, and the elders of the Jerusalem church were present. After greeting them, Paul gave a detailed account of the things God had accomplished among the Gentiles through the ministry. After hearing this, they praised God. And then they said, there's always that, right? And then they said, like, oh, that's awesome. Paul, you're doing amazing things. Praise God, these Gentiles are coming to faith. And then they said, but there's a problem. Here we go. And then they said, you know, dear brother, religious folks say that, right? You know, dear brother. But they're not, I'm not accusing the apostles of this at all, but I'm just saying this is kind of how it starts. You know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews have also believed, and they all follow the law of Moses very seriously. But the Jewish believers here in Jerusalem have been told. I heard everybody saying, right? It's usually one person. Everybody's saying, have been told. that you are teaching all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn their backs on the law of Moses. They've heard that you teach them not to, circum not to circumcise their children or follow the other Jewish customs. What should we do? They will certainly hear that you've come. So Paul is going out, he's teaching the Gentiles, they're getting saved. You know, we've, we've talked about this, this letter that they sent to the Gentiles saying, look, you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. You don't have to follow the law. You're saved by grace and faith alone in Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus came to make all these things right. You don't have to do these things to be right. And the, the, the accusation against Paul was that he was teaching against these things, circumcision, uh, the, the Jewish laws, saying that those things were not important. He didn't say they weren't important. He just said they had no value to save you. And, and the people didn't like that because they like, you know, they just like things to fit in their way, their method. And so it was causing a problem. And so they came up with a solution. And I'll tell you, the solutions that we put up don't work. Because often we try to use human solutions to fix a spiritual problem. And we have to deal with spiritual things spiritually. And we also have to feel, deal with human things humanly. Sometimes we need to be taught different. Something just can be cast out. I heard a pastor once, and it really stuck with me. He said this. He goes, you cannot cast out the flesh, and you can't disciple a demon. And there's things in our life that need to be cast out, and there's things in our life that need to be taught. There's discipleship. We need to learn. Our mind needs to be transformed and trans through the Word of God. We have to understand the difference between what is spiritual and what is natural and how God can use that. And so here's their plan. Here's their compromise. So here's what I want you to do, verse 23. We have four men here who have completed their vow. This is the, this is the Nazarite vow. So these men have gone through all the things, and they're going to go to the temple and, to complete their vow. And he says, go with them, Paul. This will mean like, see, I, I, I like the law. I'm still a Jew. 
I'm supporting these Nazarenes. Go with them to the temple and join them in the purification ceremony. Paying for them to have their heads ritually shaved. Okay, so Paul, if you go pay for their heads to be shaved, everybody will know that you still love, G- that you still love Yahweh, that you're still a follower, that you're still a Jew. And then everyone will know that the rumors are false and that you yourself observe the Jewish laws. As for the Gentile believers, they should do what we have already told them in the letter. They should abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or meat from strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. And so how do you think it went for Paul? He gets there, they shave the head, like, oh, Paul, we know that you really love the Lord and you following the laws. We are so wrong. No, that's not what happened. It didn't go well because here's the thing. You cannot compromise with the Spirit. You cannot compromise with the enemy. You cannot make deals with the devil. It's not going to work. You have to, you have to confront it. You have to move into it. You have to say, you know what? I'm standing on my ground. This is the truth. I'm going to let the truth stand. I'm not going to bend one way or another. I'm not going to come your way just a little bit so you understand. And so he walks in after the seven days. In verse 26, so Paul went to the temple the next day with the other men. And they had already started the purification ritual, so he publicly announced the date when their vows would end and sacrifices would be offered for each of them. The seven days were almost ended when some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and roused a mighty mob against him. And they grabbed him, yelling, Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple and even defiles this holy place by bringing in the Gentiles. For earlier that day, they had seen him in the city with Trophimus, and they just assumed he was a Gentile from Ephesus, and they assumed that Paul had taken him into the temple. And the whole city was rocked by this accusation, and a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed, dragged out of the temple, and immediately the gates were closed behind him. And as they were trying to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. And he immediately called out his soldiers and the officers and ran down among the crowd. When the mob saw the commander and the troops coming, they stopped beating Paul. Here comes the fuzz. Better stop. Party's over. Hear the sirens. So you see Paul, they try to do the right thing. They're like, man, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to show these people that I really still observe the law, but I'm telling you, you cannot appease things like this. The religious spirit cannot be appeased, no matter how hard we try. Paul reminds Timothy of this in, in Timothy chapter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. He's reminding Timothy as a young pastor to look out for these people that operate in this spirit. And he says this, and I want to spend a little time here on 1 Timothy 3. You should know this, Timothy. I don't have it up there. Sorry, guys. You have to just look it up. I'll give you a moment. So 2 Timothy 3, we're going to be verse 1 through 9. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends 
be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Man, is that not rampant in this world today? Verse 5 says, they act religious, but they reject the power that can make them godly. Other translations say they're religious but deny the power. They say to love God but deny the power that can save them. They deny it. And then he goes on to say, they are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they're never able to understand the truth because nobody ever teaches them. The teachers oppose the truth, just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses. They have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. This is why I'm saying you cannot disciple these people because their minds are are depraved. God has given them up to a depraved mind. They can't comprehend it. And they have a counterfeit faith. Like they feel their faith is right. They feel their faith is good. Like I'm good with Jesus. I was that way for many years. I walked around with a form of religion, but I had no relationship with Jesus. I knew when to pray. I knew when to go to church. I knew when to tithe. I knew when to sing. I knew all these things, but I didn't have a relationship with God. It was all about rules. It was a form of faith that denied the power to save. It was a form of religion that chained me to the gates of hell, to be honest. Scripture, I know this is a very encouraging word this morning, but Scripture says that there'll be a time when people come to Jesus in the end days and when Jesus comes back and they're going to come up and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? Didn't we cast out demons and heal the sick and, and open churches and plant churches and preach, gospel, and preach the gospel? Didn't I pastor for you, Lord? And Jesus is going to look at him and sadly and say, I don't know who you are. In Scripture, he talks about the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats, people who think they're saved, but they're not really saved. And as a pastor, that's something that we fear more than anything is people sitting in your, your church that have no faith in Jesus. And you don't know because they look like everybody else. And they talk like everybody else. But really, there's no relationship with God. I see people all the time, they've, they've gone their whole life. Old men, like in their 50s, well, I'm not that old. 50s and 60s, that's not that old. Sorry, don't throw anything at me. But they've gone to church their whole life, and they have never experienced the love of Christ, and they have no idea what Jesus wants to do in their life. They've had this religion they've walked in, and it's done nothing in their life but bring them misery. In fact, they probably think that's a good church service that they leave there feeling bad. That's not. It's not. Even though I'm probably making you feel pretty bad right now. (laughs) But here's what Jesus says. Here's what Paul reminds Timothy here. But they won't get away with this for very long. Someday everybody will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janus and Jambres. You're not going to get away with it for long. You're going to be found out. When hard times come, you're going to be found out. When the church splits, it's going to be found out. You can't hide it. It's ugly. 
that manifests itself. We have to be on guard against the Spirit. And so we see Paul walk in. They arrest him. They want to, they want to take him out. And then verse 11, or sorry, if you want to go to Acts yeah, 20, sorry, I missed my spot there. Acts 22, Paul gets arrested. They bind him up with, with, uh, with chains. And so he's starting to defend, his, defend him while he's there. He's, he's, at the, he's at the temple. They're trying to kill him. He's like, whoa, whoa, hey, let me talk to these people. And so he starts talking to these people, trying to defend why he's there and that he still loves, that he loves God. And he's, and he's operating through Jesus Christ and that Jesus set them free. He's actually telling them about Jesus in this moment. And he says, remember me? I'm Paul. I'm the guy that was arresting Christians. I was the guy that was glad when they were arrested and thrown in jail and prison. I was the guy that was holding the coats of Stephen while they murdered him. And I was the guy going, good job. Kill these guys because they don't know the true faith. He knew that spirit because he operated in it. And he was telling these people, look, I'm that guy, but something happened to me. On my way to arrest Christians, I came face to face with the Lord. I had an encounter with him that shifted my life forever. And I'm telling you, for people that are operating in the religious spirit, they need an encounter by God because you can't teach them. You can't show them what they need is a face-to-face encounter with the living God. And when they get that, their life shift forever. That's what I needed. It wasn't until I got a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ that my life changed. And so... That's what it's going to take for, your, for, those, for you, maybe. You're even operating that for your life to change is to finally have an encounter with Jesus that shifts your life forever. And then he says this, I get restored. I'm ready to go preach the gospel. And then in verse 17, 22, 17, it says this, after I returned to Jerusalem to start preaching, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance, and I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem, for these people won't accept your testimony about me. And then Paul says, but Lord, I argued, they certainly know that in every synagogue I am prison to beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats that they took off when they stoned him. They should know this. I mean, they should listen to me. That's like, this guy's been radically changed. What happened? But they didn't. And then he said this, but the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And this is what got the people up in an uproar. How dare you let the Gentiles in? The crowd listened to Paul until he said that word, Gentiles. Then they all began to shout, away with this fellow. He isn't fit to live. They yelled. They threw off their coats and tossed handfuls of dust in the air as a proclamation that they're done with him and that he needs to die. Paul was face to face with the same spirit that he was operating in before. This whole thing had become full circle. The thing that Paul was deep embedded in and that was controlling his life and controlling his faith was now controlling these people, these Asian believers that followed him from town to town causing issues. And they finally catch up to him in Jerusalem and it comes full circle and he gets arrested. But what did Paul do with this? Did he get upset? Did he get angry? Did he yell? Did he scream at these people? No, he still loved these people. And here's the thing I've found, that when God takes you out of something and frees you from it, that many times he brings you back into it to help other people. 
There's a saying that free people, free people. And he did the same thing with Paul. He, he took Paul out of that religiosity, and then he put him back into that same world to try and save people because he understood it more than anybody else. He had compassion on these people. And I pray that we have compassion on people because, you know, we've been through those things. And what God does in you, he wants to do through you. The things he set you free from, he wants you to go and set other people free. So I pray you pick up that mantle and that you walk in that. Paul loved the people. I want to give you some tools to help you to reach these people that may be suffering and may be dealing with this religious spirit. Maybe it's in your life and you need to get rid of it. Here's how we deal with it. Paul prays for these people in Romans 10, and we're going to take some things out of Romans 10 to help us apply this to our situation. So Romans 10, if you have that up there. Romans 10, 1 through 4, Paul is praying and telling the people in Rome by his love for the people of Jerusalem. He said, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. So number one, we got to pray for them. That's all you can do. you got to pray for those people. And then he says, I know with enthusiasm that they have, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it's misdirected zeal, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself, refusing to accept God's way. They cling to their own way of getting right with God, trying to keep the law, for Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. So what do we do? Number one, we pray. We pray for these people. We pray for them. Give them to Jesus. Because no matter what you say, it's not going to make a difference. I, I have people that I love that operate in this. And you can't, get an ed, you can't get a word in edgewise because they know all the rules. They know all the things. They don't want to listen to you. you got to pray for them. Just give them to Jesus. Say, Jesus, you deal with them. Lord, I pray that you have an encounter with them, that you encounter them. Number two, we have to realize that they're not fighting against us. They're fighting against God. Everything that's coming up against the church right now, they're not mad at the church. They're not mad at the church. They're mad at God. They're angry with God. They don't know him. So know you're fight, they're fighting against God, not you. So you need to release the offense. Don't get offended when people get mad at you and call you names or family members want to argue with you. Don't, don't even get mad about it. Release it. Say, God, I release that offense. As a believer, you don't have the right to be offended. I'm sorry to tell you that. But you don't. You can't be offended. Release the offense. The last one I want to tell is don't compromise your faith to reach them. Paul never compromised his faith. He never backed down. He said, no, this is the truth. I'm going to stand in the truth, and I'm not going to bend it just to make you happy. We have to stand in the truth because that standing in the truth is what shows them the true faith. Because while their life is doing this, your life is doing this because you're standing in the truth. So you got to stand in the truth. Don't sway. Stay in the truth. That's how you deal with this. And I pray that you're not dealing with it. And I want to close like this. I just want to pray that we recognize it in ourselves and that God gives us the courage to deal with it properly. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this message. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see when we're operating in the Spirit, that we do not give it a place in our life, 
that we do not give it a place in this church. Lord, I pray right now against the spirit of religion that wants to come in and destroy the work of God in our lives. Lord, I pray for those that do not know you. I pray for those that are operating out of this spirit, Lord, that you would show them who you are, that they would have a, an encounter with you, God, that it would drive that thing out and that the true light would come into their life, God, and they would have understand that, that you have given them a relationship with them, that you want a relationship with them, God, not a religion, not rules and regulations, but freedom to operate in their faith. Lord, I pray that you would keep us from falling into that. Lord, that we would not marry methods or, 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 or the way things should, like we think they should be, God, but that we're flexible and that we know that there's a people out there that are lost and hurting that need the gospel. God, help us to not be offended by how other people act, by how people act or don't act the way that we think they should. Lord, forgive us for that. Lord, I pray that we could see people the way that you do, as people you love, as your children. Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, I pray for those that are bound up by the Spirit, Lord, that they would be released in Jesus' name. We bind that Spirit and cast it out in the name of Jesus. Lord, we want freedom in this place, freedom in your name. We thank you for your freedom, Lord. Now send us out boldly. Send us out in love. And Lord, send us out to make a difference in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.